Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 The Fans Coffee Break. Jake Shapiro, Rachel V. Hill, hanging out with you on this Tuesday. Jake, I'm not going to lie to you. It really feels like it should be Thursday, and I don't know if that's because the weather is getting warmer and I'm thinking closer to the weekend, but I can't believe it's only Tuesday. I, I don't know. This this week has very, like, dreary vibes. I think it's because the Nuggets are done and we're also not going to see the abs play again for a week. So it's going to be a drag of a week, but luckily on DenverFan.com on Thursday is going to be a huge day with the NFL schedule release. So I guess maybe that's why it kind of feels down because it's like, all right, Thursday's kind of our Monday this week. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong there, but let's get into this Avalanche team because they're going to finally get some rest after they sweep the Nashville Predators. So good to see them last night getting the win. That way they can get the rest. Darcy Kemper can get some rest. Hopefully his eye will feel better by the time the Blues Wild Series kind of ends. But what was your biggest takeaway last night from the game, Jake? You know, I wrote about this last night and into this morning. Um they led in that series for 200 or not, not they led Nashville only led in that series for four minutes and 57 seconds out of 249 minutes. And those nearly five minutes all happened last night. And one of the abs biggest problems last year in the playoffs was it quite literally was a snowball effect for the Colorado avalanche. Ha ha ha. Whenever they allowed a goal and they didn't show any resilience or toughness, and it kind of all went to, to, to heck, right? This year, what we've seen from them, both within the games that Darcy Kemper got hurt and Pavel, Pavel Francois had to come in and they allow a goal, and then they scored one right back, and last night, releasing that lead within five minutes, extinguishing it, and then scoring another goal right after to take the lead back, uh, that shows incredible resiliency and just trust that this hockey team knows if they just keep playing the way they're going to play, it's going to work out. They don't need to press the issue. They don't need to change necessarily what they're doing. As long as they're committed and play solid hockey, they're going to be consistent and assertive. And that's what was impressive to me within this series was they were consistent and assertive. And again, last night, they bounced back right away. And of course, Kale McCarr is just, I mean, Kale McCarr, you can't say enough about it at this point. Kale McCarr is absolutely unreal. Again, leading the league with 10 points in the playoffs, um, becoming like the first defenseman to do so. And you sent over this stat last night, Jake. Do you remember? I want to make sure I get the wording correct. Yeah, yeah. So the stat last night about Kale McCarr was he was the first player in NHL history to get 10 points in the first four playoff games of a, you know, postseason run for a team. So essentially it means he's the only player ever in NHL history to get 10 points in a sweep to start the playoffs, which is pretty incredible. And, Gosh. you know, I, I think the bigger thing for Kale last night, you know, is you have Nathan McKinnon, a Calder Memorial winner, you know, Nathan McKinnon is two-time all-star and just all the accolades you could possibly have basically going, yeah, the best player in hockey right now is not Nathan McKinnon. It's that guy that plays defense for us. It's this, it's this young guy, Kale McCarr. It's not me. God, it's so crazy to even think about. We're so lucky that we're able to watch both of them take the ice for this team. But let's be honest, Jake, the real postseason starts now. 
this team has obviously struggled for the past three years when it comes down to the second round, and everybody is talking about the second round. Can they overcome this mental hurdle? Can they do it? They are either going to play the Blues or the Wild. We're unsure yet. That series still going on. But who would you rather see and why? You know, it seems like fans want to see the the Minnesota Wild more than the St. Louis Blues. And maybe that's just because of past playoff performance. And granted, the St. Louis Blues did finish with four more points and a better goal differential than the Minnesota Wild this year. I say avoid the Minnesota Wild. Um, Kapril Kaprizov, um, look up his hometown. It is uh, the hardest to pronounce name you will ever see in your life. Um, But (laughs) Kapril Kaprizov is a phenomenal hockey player. And he's the type of guy... Unlike Matt Duchesne, who scores a bunch of meaningless goals, Kapril Kaprizov scores the most impactful goals. He will change the game on a dime similar to Kale McCarr. He's not nearly as good, but he's a guy that can steal one, maybe even two games in a series. And Marc-Andre Fleury, the guy who gave the Avs nightmares in the past for the Vegas Golden Knights, who's won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins, who was the best goalie in the NHL, won the Vesna last year, got traded at the deadline from Chicago to Minnesota, and he's a net for them. And that is a demon that the Avalanche are probably going to have to slay, uh, you know, or are 100% going to have to slay if they run into Minnesota. And I personally, when faced with uh, the opportunity to face a more difficult path or a least difficult path, I would choose the least difficult path. And that more difficult path is quite literally Marc-Andre Fleury, who's one of the better goaltenders ever in the history of the NHL. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's why Minnesota scares me. Uh, and you have to also remember, Minnesota and the Avs have a pretty good playoff history. They're somewhat rivals. Uh, I would say, you know, St. Louis has got a decent playoff ed- environment, but Minnesota's just next level in that barn. Um, and that's the type of series that, you know, clearly the Avalanche are the better team. But, again, you start talking about you have two guys on that team that can start stealing games and that barn is crazy, and you're somewhat thinking maybe this goes six or seven, and if they play St. Louis, I'm like, maybe this goes five or six. Okay, so I agree. I want them to play the Blues, but I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here. Don't you kind of sort of want them to play the better team that way that maybe they are become more prepared if they have to play like Edmonton in the Western Conference Finals? No. I want them to, I want them to get the worst team Make possible every time. I don't want guys getting hurt. I don't want them playing extra games. I want them playing. I've never bought into that, Rachel. I've never understood. Yeah, let's let's go through every single team we could possibly go through. Murderer's Row. No one's going to remember that when you're hoisting the cup. Not a single person's going to remember that. Like, if, if faced with the opportunity as a Nuggets fan to have LeBron James or Rudy Gobert as my next opponent, I would choose Rudy Gobert 10 out of 10 times. Like, I don't want to make my path more difficult, especially in hockey when guys can get hurt so quickly. And the Avs survived that series. You know, we're talking about Darcy Kemper, but we expect Darcy Kemper back. Andre, Andrew Cogliano seems like he probably will be back for the second round at some point. The Avs pretty much got through that series about as healthy as you could possibly get through a playoff series, at least to our knowledge, because guys in the NHL hide injuries all the time, at least until the end of the season when they kind of come public with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely let us know in the comments, everybody, who you would rather the Avs play, whether that be the Blue or the Wild. We would love to hear. We also have a poll going on Instagram stories. Definitely check that out. We want to hear your voice. So let us 
know, but we've seen some crazy things in this series. I think that might be the craziest series that I've seen, just of unique things we've seen, right? Okay, so let's go first. Darcy Kemper and his eye. The odds of this even happening are something crazy. We had this game or this graphic from our post-game live. You can just see very clearly how hard it has to be for this stick to end up where it is on his mask. I still can't get over this and how they it had to be so perfect for it to land up there, Jake. Yeah, that is just insane. And you see things happen in this sport that are that are insane like that. You're like, okay, well, the puck is yay big and the opening is yay big. There's no chance that this could possibly happen. And then it happens. And the crazy one that I've seen in the past as I drop my phone um, is the, the guys wear those eye shields now and the gap between their cheekbone and the eye shield is, is just a little bit bigger than the width of a puck. And I've seen guys get the puck lodged right over their eye. Essentially. Um, I personally had never seen a stick enter a goalie's mask before. And I grew up playing hockey, but the NHL goaltenders, when you get to the NHL and AHL, they actually have a different specification for the bars on their masks. So until you're about 21, you actually have to wear more bars as a goaltender on your mask, which would protect you from those sticks. Um, I've seen things happen in the past where like guys crash into the goalie and their mask cuts them and they've been injured, but never something entering their mask. Gosh, it just makes my face hurt even thinking about it. And thinking about about the guys that used to play without masks. Goalies were playing without masks until like the Uh, seventies. Oh my gosh. It just makes me so uncomfortable to even think about again, like knowing and seeing that coming towards your eye too, and knowing you can't escape it. That just, Freaks me out. I'm not an eye person either, so it's just like over the top for me. But Andre Burakovsky last night had a goal that actually was so hard that it went through the net. This is something I've never seen before either, Jake. And obviously you said that you played hockey. Have you ever seen this happen? You know, I've actually done that one time, but I'm pretty sure the net was already broken and it just found a hole. I don't think I shot it through the net. I'm not that strong. Um, But I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen probably four or five dozen times. It's not necessarily like the rarest thing I've seen, but it's really not common. Um, You have twine and sometimes twine breaks. But at the NHL level, most of these nets get replaced really often. So the twine that makes up the net is really strong, but at the youth level, and I've seen my brother do this where he actually scored a goal and it didn't count. They didn't bring it back and the ref didn't see it. So, you know, there's no uh, VAR review in in hockey for the youth level, but my brother's actually put a puck through the net and and broken the twine and it didn't count as a goal. And it was pretty quite clearly a goal. Um, So at those youth levels, at the, at the younger levels of hockey, the twine isn't as strong and there are holes and, you know, it's not like the there's budgets to really replace the goals so often. So yeah, I've seen this before. Uh, this will happen again at some point, but what it really means is Andre Burakovsky is a very strong man, which we already knew, but like super hard shot. 
Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, everyone kind of, there was a like brief moment of celebration last night and then everyone was like, well, wait a second, never mind. The play continued, obviously. Then they ended up calling it to say and do a review after the play was stopped. But, you know, it kind of leads us into this conversation of craziest things that we've seen in a hockey game. And Jake, I asked this in our group chat last night and you gave so many great answers. So let's first of all get into this. So we'll go to 1979 with Peter McNabb. I had no idea, obviously, Peter McNabb um, covering the Colorado Avalanche now, but I had no idea that this even happened until we saw the video of him jumping into the stands to hit somebody and to fight a fan. So let's go ahead and watch this clip real quick. Yeah, flashback to 1979. When was the last time you saw a player somewhat get in the stands? I think it was probably Malice at the Palace, but... Before Malice at the Palace, this actually happened a lot more than people think. Like, there was a huge Cubs-Dodgers brawl uh, in the early 2000s before Malice in the Palace where people went in the stands. Hockey, it wasn't uh, – it, it probably happened maybe a dozen times. Basketball it would spill over into the stands. Uh, actually, in basketball, they had uh, cages around the court. So the original basketball players were actually called cagers, not hoopers or basketball players, because – uh, out of bounds plays actually it would be a fight to whoever got the ball first. So balls would go into the, you know, into the stands crowd and guys would jump in and start punching fans and punching the other team to get the ball. So eventually they devised a system where they put cages around the court. So the ball would always stay in play. Um, and, and that was to help avoid some of those conflicts, but yeah, I, Peter McNabb, I don't think anything tops in terms of like low, like for that fan, getting beaten by your own shoe like how like how is like what one i couldn't imagine being that man mad like that i'm gonna take off another man's shoe and beat him with it um like who even thinks of that like i could like maybe i'll throw a punch you know if i'm really upset uh i i'm not the person that hits people but like i could see that like i understand that but like the systematic of okay let me just un do this guy's shoe, take it to his face and start hitting with him. And, and the shoe's probably not as forceful as your hand to begin with. So what is that? I don't know. <laughs> the whole idea is just absolutely mind blowing to me. Again, like you said, that has to be a low for that man to have that actually happen to him. Uh, going on to this next one, this one's kind of a little bit scary, actually. And Jake, make sure you correct me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. But Clip Maller or Malarchuk. Yeah, you got it. Nice. All right. Perfect. I like it. Uh, He actually kind of had a scary situation where his jugular got cut. This is a little little rough to look at. I apologize to anyone. Maybe we should have said, you know, make sure you're aware of this. But he asked the hospital and the paramedics if they could have him back for the third period. As you can see, obviously a scary scene down on the ice. Yeah, he should have died. There's no question. Uh, the, the medical staff that day in Buffalo saved his life. And the most hockey thing ever is, is trying to get back onto the ice as quick as possible. So what happened was, is there was a play out in front of the net. Someone got twisted around. Skate comes up. Skates, which are really sharp. I could show you my skates are right here. And I could just like cut my fingernails. That's actually how hockey players test how sharp their skates are as they nick their fingernails to see uh, if it's sharp still. Um, but uh this the skate comes up and uh 
it'll be about an eighth of an inch. So boom, right there. And it's steel and it cut his jugular. Uh, there was enough force with the guy falling down that it went in instead of, you know, just nicked him. A lot of times in hockey, when you see guys get cut, it'll be just a nick. Uh, most of the times you'll see that happen is maybe they're down in a scrum and, and maybe they'll get their, their arm cut. Um, in youth hockey, you actually wear a neck guard so that there's no part of your bare skin showing because that is a risk. Um, but yeah, you, you will see guys get cut, but that was the nastiest cut in NHL history. Uh, that was the last time you could definitively say someone probably should have died on the ice in an NHL game. Um, there've been a couple times people have died, but that, that was, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, way, way longer than this. Uh, and, uh, like I said, one of the things that I love about hockey with, you know, Peter McNabb and as someone who's been on the show before who advocates for brawls and fights, you will see in hockey blood spill out onto the ice. Mm -hmm. And because of uh, what is essentially the Magic Johnson rule in basketball that got translated over to the NHL, you actually have to have a stoppage in play to scrape off all that blood from the ice. Well, if there's a lot of blood, there's a lot of layers of blood that soaks into the ice. So you're essentially creating a whole new patch of a hole and you have to refill that and wait for it to freeze again. And, and it becomes a whole problem with the surface not being level. But that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why the NHL has tried to stop fighting because of all the blood and all the problems that creates. And of course, bodily injury is not good. Um, but yeah, Clint Malarchuk, great story. Uh, bounce back from that. You should actually read his book if you have a chance. Uh, he, he, he had PTSD from that incident. Uh, he's kind of made a life for himself afterwards, but he was at a low, low point uh, after he kind of realized what he went through and it wasn't the, uh, the adrenaline of get me back in there for the third period coach. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check out his book because that story overall is just crazy. Um, I'm happy to see, though, that, you know, he's discussing it and talking about it. PTSD is obviously one of those things that a lot of people choose not to discuss. So it's great to see that he's kind of being an advocate for that. Move on to another one. This one is a favorite for Colorado Avalanche fans, Patrick Waugh and the goalie fight. This is what I feel like everybody obviously knows about. So much fun to watch. I love watching the brawl beforehand. And then just watching Patrick Waugh walk out there and be like, nope, you know what? We're doing this. Let's get it done. Yeah, and this was just one of the two goalie fights against the Red Wings that Patrick Waugh had. And, you know, both of them were equally as good in different ways. My, uh, my dad's best friend's son actually played hockey for Claude Lemieux's team in uh, Arizona. And my dad's best friend was the assistant coach for Claude. Uh, and I think Jocelyn Tebow maybe was the assistant coach as well. It was, it was a loaded team. And Austin Matthews was actually on that youth team. Uh, Austin Matthews and I are the same age. Um, so, uh, I've, I've, I've had him ask Claude Lemieux through me, like kind of what was going through his head. Like, how did this whole thing start? Like this blood feud as Adrian Dater wrote about in his book, that was the name of Adrian Dater's book about this. And it's just like this, this really wild circumstance that has to come up where you need all these honor things to kind of be checked where it's like they did something that wronged me. So I'm getting back at them for this and they did something wrong here. So I'm getting back at them for this. Um, the only time you'll really see a goalie fight in the NHL, and this happens about once or twice per season, if you count all the games combined um, is essentially you'll see in the defensive zone, maybe two forwards trying to fight one D man. 
And that's when the goalie will feel like he needs to jump in to support his guy because there's a two-on-one fight. And that in, the, in, that in hockey is a big no-no. That breaks the code. But when you see the goalie jump out there, you can't really hit or touch a goalie in the NHL. So the only person that can really fight the other goalie is the other goalie. So you have to kind of have like a circumstance of cascading events in order for this to happen. And Patrick Waugh, like I told you a couple of shows ago, Rachel, don't mess with someone from Quebec. Don't mess with someone from Quebec. Uh, Patrick Waugh is a scary dude. Uh, and that dude is not someone I want to be fighting. No, and we have Nathan in the comments who says, don't forget that the Red Wings suck. There's a lot of hatred for that team out here in the Mile High City. Now, Jake, you had to rank these. Which one are you putting as, like, the weirdest or craziest event that happened? Well, one that we didn't even talk about as you talk about crazy bounces and goals that we didn't even know happened was the Blackhawks winning the Stanley Cup in 2010 where the puck got lost in the net and people didn't realize that the the Blackhawks had won the Stanley Cup in overtime. Um you know, I've seen goals go in off stanchions. I've seen guys fall into the bench uh, because of the door was open. I've seen the glass shatter because the hits were so big. Uh, but Clint Malarchuk is something that every hockey kid and every hockey fan knows as like, this is the worst and craziest thing that can happen to you on the ice when you step on it. Um, Patrick Waugh, that's one of the coolest things. I wouldn't say it's that rare. Um, and Andre Burkowski, again, not that rare, but like every time you, you, you set back for a shot, every time you go down into your position for a slapper, that's the goal is either to, to break the twine or if you miss the net, shatter the glass. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we love it. We did get one question too from Mel and it says, do you guys think that Alex Newhook will get into the lineup in the next series? And Jake, I'll give that one to you. Uh, I could see it. I think it's a more matchup based thing. And obviously new Newhook had a pretty good season, but I also think that when you win four games in a row as dominant in a fashion as the abs did. And, you know, we have a tweet that shows how, how dominant the abs were in this series uh, where they were the only team in NHL history to sweep a team with 20 plus goals and 175 plus shots. Like it was just so dominant. Their offense is clearly working. I think the only time you'll probably see new hook is if they have a game where they only score one or two goals, maybe they drop it and Bednar looks for some changes. Right. Uh, But otherwise you don't mess with a good thing generally uh, is the way hockey coaches think. Yeah, that's my way. I don't think we will. I think we've seen the lineups that we're mainly going to see. I don't think they'll make a whole bunch of rotations with it. Again, don't mess with something that's working. And this is clearly working for this Avalanche team. We're excited for this next series. Again, we're hoping the Blues Wild goes as long as we possibly can. And that way, Darcy Kemper's eye can get better. But we'll move on to the Broncos now as they announced today that they're going to be playing on Christmas Day against the LA Rams. Now, Jake, for you in this game, are you more disappointed that they're not going to be playing this when it's like everyone was thinking it might be the opening day of the NFL season this game? Or are you kind of happy that this is rolling until later on in the season? I think it might be good that it's later on because I think the Rams might be a worse team by the end of the season than they are at the start just because they're coming off the Super Bowl and it's going to be a long season and uh, they're older so they might regress. I also think that it kind of sucks as a fan for the timing of this game. Obviously, people have Christmas plans. But in my mind, like, 
I don't mind when my team plays on a holiday or a special day like that. I think it's cool. It makes it a, a special event. But I kind of think about it like with the Nuggets hosting that Christmas Day game against the Pelicans a few years ago, where it's like they're playing the Pelicans. We're making a game against the Pelicans special. That's cool. The game against the Rams, the reigning Super Bowl champions, was going to be cool and special and like a must-watch event for fans either way. So, like, you're just making two games that would have in itself been interesting, one game, and I guess this is me looking at it from a content perspective. I don't like that. Uh, But, uh, yeah, you know, this will be a great matchup. We know this matchup was going to occur. I'm kind of sad that Von Miller is not on the Rams to see Von play against the Broncos because I love Von, but I'm also happy because I don't have to see Von play against the Broncos, and I think that would break my heart in a little bit of a way. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I think it would be a little hard, but I am also like wishing we could kind of see that matchup and how it would go down. I'm with you. I think this matchup would have been big no matter what. So having it on Christmas Day really doesn't like super hype me up and excite me, but I am glad it's going on happening or it's going to be happening later on in the season and not opening um, day for the NFL season. But I'm still intrigued to see who's going to be playing that opening day in Los Angeles. Rob Walton visited the Broncos yesterday, though. Josh Harris was last week and was here for two days. Rob Walton only here for one. Does that make you wonder anything about how the visits have gone, Jake? Rob Walton's a richer man. Rob Walton might be a busier man. That might be it. Rob Walton might have also spent the entire day on Monday, where I know Josh Harris flew in late Thursday and then left early Friday. So, you know, getting to the weeds about this, probably no big deal. Uh, Probably doesn't mean all that much. And I'm sure both of these people have private investigators and all sorts of things staking out every facility right now. Um, But yeah, like... it's either going to be one rich dude or another rich dude. And, you know, I, I was thinking the other day, it probably doesn't matter because we don't know what their strategies are going to be. But at the same time, Josh Harris is also the guy that's overseen the process with the Philadelphia 76ers. And I, I, I remember that and I kind of am like, Ooh, I don't want to see my team do that. So yeah. Uh, but Rob Walton's also never owned a team. Although uh, I saw a good made, point made on social media and I can't remember by who, where it's like, you know, what motivates rich people is beyond me, especially billionaires, but a war within your family in a town to see which sports franchise you own can be better between the Rams and the Broncos, KSE and Walton, which the Cronkies and Waltons are cousins by marriage, and within the town because the Nuggets and Avs to see who reigns supreme in town, that might motivate a billionaire to actually want to win and stuff. So I'm kind of leaning Walton, honestly. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I forgot about that marriage. Uh, So it will be interesting to kind of see. And, you know, gas prices aren't the only thing going up either. Uh, If you're wanting to buy an NFL team or a professional sport team, the prices are also going up. The Broncos, like, started this whole price range around, I think it was $3.65 billion. And now it's all the way up to, they're saying it's going to hit $5 billion. So just keeps on rising. And that's kind of crazy to even think about. I thought $4 billion was a lot. We're just adding an extra billion on there because, you know, they got money. What's another 150? You know, that's just like a spicy chicken sandwich at McDonald's. Oh, right. There's the billion at the end of it. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. 
Exactly, exactly. Uh, some more Bronco news is Russell Wilson's family got a new puppy who they are naming Bronco, which this dog is so stinking cute. So Sierra lost her dog um, of 17 years, actually, I believe this past year. And so they got a new puppy while they're here. They've got a backyard that's big enough to have this dog out there. And she's extremely, extremely cute. There we go. You can see her there. Um, again, so sweet, so little. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. Jake, are you a dog or a cat person? Uh, don't get me started on cats. I love dogs. Uh, dogs are great. Uh, this dog may be cute. Uh, it, it's it's tipping the scale. I'm, I'm, I'm still unsure about what I think about this dog. But as long as Russell Wilson doesn't get traded to the Jets and have to rename his dog Bronx, because that's what happened to Tim Tebow. His dog was named Bronco, and then he renamed him Bronx when he got traded to the Jets. So, yeah, I mean, Rachel, you say their yard's big enough. I'd hope so with how much money they spent on that house. Oh, it's a big yard. Trust me. We've talked about it here on Coffee Break. You can check out DenverFan.com. There's pictures of it. A huge yard, that's for sure. But now we are almost to the end of our show, so we need to get into a roast or a toast. And, Jake, I'll let you go first because your toast is a good one and it's needed. Toast uh, to the MVP, back-to-back, Nikola Jokic, my favorite basketball player on the planet that's ever existed. He is phenomenal. Uh, Yesterday was just a fun day online, just seeing everyone upset that isn't a Nuggets fan and just seeing Nuggets fans be like, yeah, man, he's unbelievable. So a toast, again, to uh, Nikola Jokic. I've certainly toasted him in the past. I'll toast him again. Uh, I'm so happy he's here in Denver. Oh my gosh, we are so lucky. Okay, now I'm going to roast somebody and I'm going to roast Fox Sports because I don't know why they're making this such a big deal today. They're saying when Tom Brady decides to retire from the game of football, he's going to become an analyst for them. Tom tweeting out excited, but a lot of unfinished business on the field with the Buccaneers. I just don't understand why we're having this conversation. He is still the quarterback of an NFL team. We know how much goes into that. Like I I just don't understand why we're all of a sudden just tweeting this out and they're talking about contracts and all sorts of stuff. Like we got a full season ahead of us. Can't we just take a chill on this? I can tell you because Andrew Marchand just reported to the New York post that he's going to make $375 million over 10 years to be a Fox sports analyst, which means he's going to get paid more per season to do that than to be a quarterback. And we've seen that Sean McVay almost got pulled away from coaching because they were offering him more money to be an analyst than to actually coach the game. Uh, but I always get a little, you know, icky about this stuff. Draymond Green situation with TNT right now, because he's basically coworkers with those guys. You know, it just, it just exposes the fact that these media entities that are broadcasting these games are not journalistic entities. They are not covering the game unbiasedly and fairly. They have a partnership and an affiliation with these leagues. And sometimes like with Tom Brady and Draymond Green, they have an affiliation with specific players they want to do well. Yep. And let's be honest, we know Tom Brady can change his mind. So what happens if Tom Brady decides, I have the money, I want to spend the time with my kids and my wife. We've seen that. So I don't like it. It's I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at Twitter today seeing all of these comments on it. If you read his retirement post, his retirement post, he never retired. He just didn't want to play for the Buccaneers. I'm pretty sure he was trying to get a trade to the Miami Dolphins and try to get an ownership stake in the Miami Dolphins, which makes this $375 million deal with Fox quite interesting because 
he's probably written into that contract. And I want to see this leak later today where he can have an ownership stake in an NFL team while being a broadcaster, similar to Alex Rodriguez can. Uh, and that's going to be a really big hint as to what just happened with Tom Brady and the future, because Tom Brady's clearly setting out to be the first owner of an NFL team. That's a former player. And uh, Steven Ross, who's the owner of the Miami dolphins, Michigan guy as well, like Tom Brady, uh, that situation probably lines up best for Tom. And you saw him at the Miami Grand Prix this weekend. He's spending a lot of time in Miami. Interesting, Jake. I see the connections you're making here, connecting the dots. Well, we'll have to see. I'm not a big fan, so I am roasting Tom Brady and Fox Sports. Not a big fan of this deal, but Jake, love having you on Coffee Break. Excited to have you on here on Tuesdays. Thanks so much. And thank you to everyone else, too, that tuned in and hung out with us for this past 30 minutes. We're back again tomorrow morning, 1030 a.m. Mountain Time. We'll see everybody then.